<laughs> Philippians says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Father, again, we thank you for how you have changed our hearts as we have come to you. Indeed, you are great, God Almighty. And in your plan of redemption before the foundation of the world, you, you determined to send your Son to this earth before it was even created to be the sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you that as Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he indeed was able to say it is finished. It is complete. Our salvation is is complete in him, and we thank you for that. We thank you that as we have received Christ as our Savior, that we are secure. That heaven is our home, that you are our Father, and it forever will be true. Father, thank you that you have broke the chains of sin in our lives. Though we still fall, that we are no longer chained to sin. That you conquered Satan, that you conquered death that we will not have to experience the second death. And Father, we ask that you would make us, as this passage says, to be in fellowship with each other, to be in partnership, to participate in what you're doing on this earth, the ministry that you're doing, that you want to do through us. May we not exempt ourselves from service. Again, help us to see that this is one of the greatest ways that you use in our lives to grow us and to stretch us. Father, we thank you that you've given us your spirit, not only with us, but in us. And as we walk with him, he gives us victory. We can produce that fruit of the spirit. We just thank you for the marvelous things that you're doing in our lives. May we just be totally... Even uncompre- you just can't even comprehend all that you're doing. But just give us a glimpse of that. And Father, if there's anyone here that has never received Christ as their Lord and Savior, may this be their day of salvation. May they understand it's only what Christ did on the cross, not what we are doing as far as even partaking in the communion that saves, but only what Christ did on the cross that saves. And that they would put their full faith and hope and trust in the Lord Jesus. Again, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for, as believers, you've revealed these to us. May we live in light of them. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. It's excellent that uh, today we're going to be able to celebrate the table together. Because as we close down the missions month and a week, I guess we say it, I think it's a good time to examine our fellowship with one another. Because that's what he said in Philippians chapter 1. With all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now. And really, we are participating in the fellowship, the participation, the partnership, as we even partner with people who who are representing us. I I like what that one... um, prayer sheet, where is it, Uh, out in the back, it's called uh, praying for your worker. In fact, I think I'm going to start using the word worker instead of missionary, 
Missionary is almost too elusive. It's almost like exactly, aren't we all called to be missionaries? But you know what? Some we have chosen to represent us around the world. Okay? They're your workers. Simons are your workers in India. Um, Timblins are your workers not only in Tucson, but as they go into Mexico. Uh, Rod Whitney is your worker here in, in uh, uh, western New York as he works with uh, different leaders, Word of Life Club. Uh, Kennedys are your worker in Ghana, right? They're your workers. Are we partnering with them? I think sometimes we forget that that's partnership. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at uh, giving. And again, at, at our church, we do faith promise. Now, that's important. Uh, you don't have this in your, in your uh, bulletin today, but the yellow sheet in the back is a faith promise slip. And the reason I say that's important is because it's not connected with our general budget. In other words, if the mission's uh, faith promise is not supported, then missionaries will either have to be um, cut back on support or cut out totally. Uh, so it's very, very important that we uh, together partner in funding the faith promise offering, faith promise support. Uh, last week, or two weeks ago, um, I preached on 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And one verse really uh, caught me, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 4, verse, eight uh, verse 4. Because Paul writes about the Macedonian uh, believers. Remember the Macedonian believers had given an offering to the Jewish Christians? And Paul was referencing how Macedonian believers were sacrificial in giving to the Jerusalem Christians and then seeking to help the Corinthians. That's a third group. The Corinthians, by the way, the Macedonians were dirt poor. The Corinthians were very wealthy because of the, the, um, the uh, ships that were coming in, the ports. And Paul was saying, but I want you to participate in giving as the Macedonians had. And, and he wrote this to them, imploring us. This is talking about the Macedonians. Imploring us or begging us. Very, very strong. Gave a, the Macedonians gave a very strong case to Paul with much urgency that we would receive the gift, that's the financial gift, and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. In other words, Paul says, they were begging us to take what they had to give to the Jerusalem church because they wanted to be in partnership with that church. They wanted to be in partnership with those believers. Giving is part of fellowship. Giving is part of partnering with other believers. And I would say that it, it, it holds uh, true to your workers around the world that we call missionaries. One guy said this, we often hear the cry for the need of more fellowship. That may say something about our giving, since giving is one of the key ways we share together with other believers. If your giving is not what it ought to be biblically, you will have a sense of isolation, a sense of not belonging to the group, the group there being the church. To say, quote, I don't feel I have enough fellowship may be saying something about your giving, <laughs> end quote. You know, I say that's actually true. I, I read it two weeks ago. I didn't realize how true it really was. I, I asked Chris Blades, who's the chairman of the, the uh, missions committee, I said, uh, I'd like to give an update as far as what the giving is. You know, because it's important to kind of know where you're at. We don't usually do thermometers. And, <laughs> but, but this is what he said. He said, well, the monthly support... By the way, let me 
qualify by saying, again, there are some who just consistently give and they don't write stuff down. <laughs> It'd be nice if you wrote it down so we know what your intention is for the next week or next year. But he said the uh, monthly support, as far as pledges, um, is at $2,250. 2250 The actual need is 4667 Not even half. Now, I, I, know, I know this church, and I know some just keep giving and they don't write it down. But this is one thing he did say that was very interesting. He said, but you know what? Of all the people that signed the uh, sheets, he said it wasn't but maybe two that were of the younger generation. Now, I want you to think about that. Older generation, and I said, well, first of all, define for me older. Because <laughs> I remember telling my mother one time when she turned 35, I said, you're right here, and it's all downhill. Can you imagine a son saying that to her? No, she should have slapped me right there. I apologized to her years later. <sighs> to him, older was 40. But you know, okay, this is why it stopped me in my tracks. I wonder if we're passing on the vision of this church and participation and fellowship to the next generation. I would really encourage you, if you're a younger person, and what do you mean by younger, John? Anybody 30? No, I, yeah, 35, 30. Do I hear 25? <laughs> 20. Do I hear teen? Do I hear seventh grader? Should we all participate together? Yeah, we should. I, I, by the way, parents, I, I'm giving you an assignment. Well, first of all, make sure you're participating. But then encourage and guide your own kids to participate. Don't do this. Let's all put it together as a family and give. By the way, we've done that before. They're not getting it. Even if it's a dollar, even if it's $5, even if it's $10, do it together, but do it separate as well. Do you know what I'm saying? You're working as a family, but you're saying, okay, you need to determine what you are going to participate in. The same thing's going to hold to, uh, hold to this uh, prayer. I've noticed over the years, sometimes I'll just say Prince family. This year I didn't do that. I filled out prayer slips, but it's John Prince. If Sola's going to pray, she needs to fill it out. If you're going to pray Colton, you're going to fill it out. No, I'm real concerned. That, that one statistic that he told me, and he didn't give me any names or anything. He just said, you know, only about two people out of all the people that signed up for Faith Promise were under around 40. Wow, we need to work together. Is this church a church or is it just a subdivided group, right? So, again, oh, because you need money, John. No, no, it's nothing to do with, it's not to do with the money. It really has to do with that word partnership. Uh, the Lord's been kind of itching it in the back, like, I'm wondering if we're really working together as a church, the way the church should work, right? See, the church is a family. I remember years ago, I must have caused my mother a lot of hardship because I'm going to tell you another story. <clears throat> there was a family reunion come up sometime in June, July, whatever. And for whatever reason, I think it was because it was happening in, on Sunday and it was like 1 o'clock. I even made the threat, which I didn't hold to, but like I may not be at the family reunion this year. Now, now think about that as a parent. Your kid is not going to participate in the family reunion I mean, I've told our kids, we've told our, you know, hey, if you can at all, at all, you know, we've got a family union 4th of July, we have one at New Jersey, we'd like to have you there. Right? Isn't that true with a family? I mean, a father and a mother? Don't you want that? 
Don't you want that for your, your kids? Hey, we're getting together. This is family reunion. This is not family minus you. If you can be there, right? And mom, I could tell it almost broke her heart. You know, like, wait, don't you consider this important? Well, years later, I've realized this is very important. I'll make it the top priority. If I can be there, I'll be there. I'm talking family reunion, right? Right, why? Because we're family. All right, church, family. Are we family? We're even tighter than blood, right? When, when we come up with a, a direction, I would hope that you all say, yes, that's the direction of this church. That's the direction I'm going to hang on to. Missions, those are the 17 people we're supporting or family units. We're going to do it, right? We're going to do it together. You want us to pray? We're going to, we're going to do it together, right? None of this like, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to show up at the family reunion, right? We're together. Um, I mean, really, if truth be known, I'm telling you so you know this. I mean, if, if I ran the missions committee, I may do things differently. There may not be everyone that's on there that is, and there might be a few others that would be, and that's not the issue. I'm not on the, but I'm part of this church. And the church has determined a committee, and the committee has determined the missionaries. And you know what I'm going to do? Give to those missionaries. Do you see the point? I think sometimes it goes around with John gets everything he wants. I hear that once in a while. You have no idea. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, I'm not saying that. I guess I, you might say I was a strong personality. Would you say that, honey? Um, no, I, wanna, I want you to understand. This is family. And if Chris and the board, the mission board, has determined these are the ones, then I'm going to support these are the ones. Now, I might support one or two other... But these are the ones. Do you see how that creates participation? Do you see how this uh, creates family, you know, uh, fellowship, togetherness? So I'm really asking you, every one of you, you even might be a sixth grader and you might only give one dollar. By the way, if you're a a 45-year-old and you only give one dollar, maybe there's a problem. But, you know, but I'm going to participate monthly or however you do that, you know, because you can do it different ways, in this ministry, because I want to be a partner. Same thing with uh, prayer. We're going we're to actually look at that now. So family. In fact, I was thinking about, you know, churches like family reunion every week. That's how it should be looked upon. Um, I, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but maybe I'm getting more perspective. But man, is family really important? I look forward to Sunday. Yeah, I get to worship the Lord. That's priority. Worship in so many ways. By the way, giving is worship, learning is worship, changing is worship, but also just to be with you. You're my family. We're family. So again, consider faith promise. Let me turn the page now to prayer. Just look at prayer. And again, we have communion, so I only have a few moments. A few moments, that's kind of an ambiguous term. Let me start out with a, a guy's thought. Even with a guy's thought, even without the benefit of sophisticated scientific equipment or technology, every Christian can minister directly to the spiritual well-being of other believers, i.e., any believers, also fellow workers, without seeing or speaking to them. Now, now catch that. Without sophistication of all the things we have, you know, we have iPads and iPhones and. You know, Skype and every, every uh, uh, Microsoft has its own type of Skype. You know, we have all this stuff. But, you know, you can, you can minister to someone else without all that stuff. No, it's great to get a call. 
But you don't need that. We can play a role in their spiritual growth and even secure God's blessing for them. And it's all through what? Prayer. 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 It's interesting how often prayer is mentioned in Scripture. Paul himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, helping us through your prayers. Paul is consistently not only telling people, because a lot of times at the beginning of the books, he'll say, I'm praying consistently for you. But then he's also saying, and I, I trust that you're also praying for us. This is that partnership. This is this participation. This is that fellowship I'm referring to. The Bible tells us to pray for one another. I'm going to refer to this a couple times today, this, this little... Uh, uh, it's seven days, basically, of the week, and every day it gives you a different area to pray for your worker. But as Karen Blade said today, well, this could be used for you too, John. <laughs> I said, amen. This could actually be used for almost, well, every one of us, right? How do you pray for someone else? Now, some of it particular uh, to the, uh, those in, let's say, vocational ministry, but this is what he, they say on, on Sunday. Your worker's spiritual life Contrary to popular belief, workers are not spiritual giants. He's referring to the missionaries. They are subject to the same doubts, temptations, struggles that any other believer faces. But the challenges of the mission field may bring, bring these issues to the forefront. Ask the Lord to give your missionary, your worker, and then he, they give some. Like a consistency in, their, in, in prayer and reading of the word. Do you, do you find it hard to have consistency in the reading of the word and prayer? Well, do you think it's not hard for a Steve Coffey to do that? Or a Dino Padron? Or a Shabush Simon? Or a Shaju Simon? Or um, uh, Rod Whitney or whoever else? No. You know, all these pressures, things, they get up, they're ready to go for the morning. No, I've got to spend time with God because if I don't spend time with God, everything else is going to be uh, useless, really. It's going to be fruitless. So we pray for that. We Just a couple. Uh, grace to resist temptation. Do you think those individuals have temptations? Absolutely. You have temptations. So we're praying for you know, their resistance to those temptations. Or if they succumb to them, that they will quickly repent. So they have victory over spiritual struggles. And only to say this. Uh, there's only a couple left. We're going to try to get in another hundred. But if you haven't picked one of these up, next week they, hopefully they'll be in or the week after. I would encourage you, it's great. It is a really good resource as far as praying for others. Okay? In other words, prayer can benefit, can be a blessing to someone else. I can bless you without even calling you if I pray for you. And you can do the same for them, and you can do the same for me. That's why in Scripture, well, like in Ephesians 6, it says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert. Be on the alert. Why? Because it's easy to get distracted from praying. Right? He, he, he does that word alert, I think, three different times in the context of prayer. It's easy to get distracted. Do you ever go and say, well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to be faithful this time, Lord. Well, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. See, perseverance. Be on the alert for all perseverance. Why? Because it's easy not to persevere in prayer. I cannot tell you how many times I have signed up to pray and then sometime in weeks or months later, Lord, forgive me for not holding to what I said I would do. 
And by the way, then I get back on track. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not this. Forgive me and I'm not going to, you know. No, I'm going to hold to what you have called me to do. You put it on my heart. So be on the alert. People, be on the alert. Teens, be on the alert. Again, I'm very concerned that I don't want to just talk to the 40 and above. I'm very concerned with the, the, the 20-year-olds, the 22-year-olds, the 25-year-olds that are sitting right here. Are we passing the... Are you spiritual enough that we could give you the reins to be an elder? Shouldn't that happen? It shouldn't happen when you're 45. I, we should have elders that are 30, 35 if they're spiritually mature. We've got to get our hand put on the plow, right? So let's look at prayer. Let me give you three simple points. First of all, the importance of prayer. I like how David Jeremiah, he said this, God does nothing in ministry apart, apart from prayer. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. He goes on, ministry is at its core spiritual work. Prayer is spiritual work. Now we've got to get, let that sink in a little bit. Prayer is spiritual work. Oh, I thought it was easy. You will fail every time if you think that. It is work. It is hard work. But it's work. But it's spiritual work. It's good. You can bless. He goes on. David, again, <clears throat> says this. Regarding the essential role in, in ministry, he writes, quote, I scoured the New Testament some time ago looking for things God does in ministry that are not prompted by prayer. You know what I found? Nothing. I don't mean I had trouble finding an item or two. I mean I found nothing. Everything God does in the work of ministry, he does through prayer, end quote. Wow, that says something. That also says something if we're not praying. It actually starts to point to what's happening in ministry. Maybe it's a lot of busyness, but maybe it's not a lot of quality fruit. That's true of us. That's true of your own personal life. See, God uses prayer. It makes sense, right? I mean, prayer shows humility. Prayer says, I need you to accomplish. Therefore, when it's accomplished, God gets the credit. But prayer is work. Not only is prayer work, but it's like breathing. It's like breathing. Uh, you, what, you, can, you can last for a few weeks. Is that true without food? Although some of us feel like, you know, one day it would be like dying. <laughs> I need to eat. The way, we uh, went out to Chinese. And somehow we got on talking about food and said, well, you know, yeah, you can give up food a little while, you know. And I said, well, yeah, it's easy to give up food for a while when you just had a Chinese buffet. <laughs> You're totally stopped. Water, what is it, three days? You die? Only a... A few moments without air and you're dead. That's why people uh, many times have said that praying is like spiritual breathing. Spiritual breathing. It's, uh, or the soul's breathing, if you will. We need it. And it should be, you know, God consciousness. You know, pray without ceasing. Um, but again, pray without ceasing. Sometimes we don't have formal times of prayer, specific times of prayer, because we just use First Thessalonians. Well, uh, you know, we'll just pray without ceasing. Yeah, but that just, that's just saying that in life, everything should be put through the grid of God. But there's still times of actual where it says that they got together for prayer. That's formal. 
You should have a formal time of prayer in the morning or in the night or whenever. I'm not trying to specify the time. I guess I'm specifying the priority of it. That needs to happen. That's why it says of the disciples, they continually devoted themselves to prayer, Acts 2. So that's the importance. What happens without prayer? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing of eternal value. How about the passion of prayer? Well, let's, let's get to our text. It's in verse 9, Colossians 1, 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Let's just, let me just give you a few thoughts on prayer. A few other. It has to do with the passion. In the present text, having greeted the Colossians, again, that's, you find that in verses 1 to 2, and mentioned his prayers on their behalf in verses 3 to 8, Paul revealed the specific content of the prayer in verses 9, especially 9 to 11. I'm going to be camping out on that for a few moments. Um, One commentator said this, As in all his recorded prayers, the apostle did not pray for physical needs or church growth. Now that's very important. When you look at Paul's prayers, he wasn't praying for their big toe. I'm not saying not to pray for the physical needs of a person. I'm not, I'm not going to go that extreme. But if you look at Paul's prayers, he was not praying for their physical needs. Actually, I think this. If you start doing just the temporal physical needs, it will literally strangle biblical prayer. I really believe that. If all you're focusing on is the temporal, it's going to strangle your prayer life. Why? Because I don't know what God has for that person that has cancer. It might be in the plan that God is going to take her, him, in another month. But I do know some things that God will definitely want in their life. Spiritual stability, perseverance, steadfastness, right? Not lose hope, keep their joy, keep their peace, love, able to minister. You know, you can add. So we got to make sure it's biblical. So again... As in all, recorded, uh, in all his recorded prayers, the apostle did not pray for physical needs. Let me go on. It was not that those things were unimportant to him, but that, but that spiritual issues were of supreme importance. And you look at Timothy, you know. You, you don't find him praying. You find him just, well, take some wine for your stomach's sake. You know, in other words, there's some physical things you can do. And again, I mean, it says in the, Lord, uh, the disciples' prayer, um, you know, give us this day your, our daily bread. Okay, daily needs, daily, you know. God cares about the daily physical needs. But we've got to be careful that we don't spend so much time praying that it's literally destroying our biblical praying because we're so focused on the uh, temporal. Let me go on. There is not a truer indicator of the Christian's level of spiritual maturity than his prayer life. Paul's prayer life reveals more of his true spirituality than all of his preaching, all of his teaching, all the miracles that he did, marvelous and divinely blessed as they were. Biblical praying should not arise simply out of a sense of duty. This is actually an author's thought. because It is true. Because I would have said what duty could play a major part in it. Actually, it should go beyond that. If it's just duty, it's it's going to... uh, lackluster after a while. It's just going to piddle away, you know. It, it's really got to come from a deep inner desire. In other words, God has hit my heart. And by the way, it can be hit and refreshed when you start saying, what, what am I actually praying for? I am praying that this person continues to walk with Jesus Christ no matter what goes in his life. And that though, Lord, it might be your will to heal and it may not, 
the, the spiritual aspect is what can actually revitalize my prayer life for that person. See, it's that inner desire, that internal passion, that longing for the glory of God and the blessing of the person. What, what do you mean the blessing? Well, that means they're healed. No, no. No, no. Glory of God, blessing person. Think about this. Let's just take the physical. Let's just take that since we're on it. They walk through that disease with hope and joy and peace. Does that bring God, God glory? Yeah, because the watching world says, how in the world? That's not supposed to happen. Because all there is, is this life. Well, no, there isn't, right? So, we pray, and that's how we glorify God, and we're able to bless others. That's really what it means to love the Lord today, God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, you're, you're loving that person because you want them to walk well before the Lord. Now, again, if they're not a believer, you pray for their salvation, obviously. Again, a strong sense of duty cannot compensate for a cold heart. That's important. See, I, that's why I can't force you to do this. I can tell you what the scripture says, but I can't force Because if I force you, you know what? Your heart will take over after a while. A week, a month, a year, not a year. Let's just take a week or a month. And the emotion that you have for the moment to pray, you'll give up on. No, it's got to be that inner passion. Let me close with this final thought. A selfish, superficial heart focused primarily on personal problems, personal struggles, personal interests will produce a selfish and superficial prayer. And not long afterwards, they will stop praying. So we've got to be careful, you know, that our passion for prayer is biblical prayer. Let's look at a biblical prayer. Uh, again, starting in verse 9. For this reason... And he's talking to the Colossians. He's saying that I'm praying for you. Now he's going to tell them what he's praying for. By the way, they were doing good. The Colossians weren't like a mess like the Corinthians. The Colossian believers were a good group of, of believers, as it were. They're walking with Jesus. They had issues. The Gnostics were trying to infiltrate and some like that. But the point is they were, they were doing well, but he wanted them to even do better. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, don't, do not cease, that's constant, to pray for you. By the way, when I'm praying for you, that's selfless. And to ask that you may be, and then he gives the things. So, that you may be, now this is important, that these are specific prayer requests. These are specific things that Paul was praying for the Colossian people for, the Colossian church. So it's very focused. The first thing is that you may be filled Let's just stop there. That you might be filled. That word filled, if you want to write, it means to control. To control. That you might be filled. And you say, how do you know that? How do you know it means total control, or say it this way, totally under control of what filled it? Well, let me give you three examples. It says in Luke 6 that the Pharisees were filled, same word, filled with rage when Jesus healed on the Sabbath. You ever see anybody filled with rage? Don't name people. (laughs) Have you ever seen someone filled with rage? I mean filled where their eyes are like, and they can't even talk because they're spitting. (laughs) What did that rage do? It controlled the person. Right? They will do and say things that they really would never do or say except the fact that that rage filled them, controlled them. 
Another example is found in John 16. His disciples were filled with sorrow when Jesus told them of his departure. That's what it says. They were filled with sorrow. What do you mean you're leaving? We found you for three years. You're leaving? Well, they weren't really listening because if I go, what? I'm going to send a helper. But they weren't hearing all this. They, they were just filled with sorrow. But the point is the word filled means to control. Let me give you the, the positive. Acts 4.31, it says the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. Filled, what do you mean? Controlled. Controlled by the Spirit. Now he, here, he's saying that they need to be filled by what God wants them to do. Okay? Again, filled with the knowledge of his will. So he, the word is knowledge. That's a sub-point. I don't know how I put it on your outline. But again, a controlling knowledge. It means that what they know from the word of God, they will actually do. They're going to live out the word of God. That's what Paul is praying for the Colossians. You know what? That's what we need to pray for our workers, our 17 workers or however many we have. I didn't even count them. I should have. But the workers that we have, the missionaries, pray that they would be controlled by the knowledge of God's word. By the way, you might say, well, we're, you know, again, I'm assuming something. You already know it. You know, well, where do you understand his will? Well, actually, there was a group of people in the Colossian church called the Gnostics. They thought this way. They thought that it was uh, internal. Like, to really know truth was just within and it had to be brought out. Kind of like the diamond in the rough. You know, you had a Disney movie like that. The diamond in the rough. It's, you know, your goodness is inside. It's just got to be brought out. Actually, we know from Scripture that's exactly opposite, right? It's not, in, it's not internal. We're totally depraved. It's external. It's from another source. It's from the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration, right? All Scripture. What? God breathed. God breathed. All Scripture is... That's where we go. So when he says, filled with the knowledge of his will, and you say, well, where is his will? His will is in the Bible. Is in the Word of God. We've got to get to the book. That's what's authoritative. By the way, that's why the early settlers that even came to America wanted to teach their children how to read. Why? Not just so they'd be good in business, because they wanted them to get into the book. They came up with just a couple of statistics on literacy. You know what? 1000 AD, 1000 AD, 1000 years ago, you know that there was only about 1% of people that could read? Isn't that sad? 1%. Take 100 people, only one person could actually read the text. That's even if you could find a Bible. Well, things changed in Europe at least. And it started to get better. By the 1700s, the literacy rate became almost 40%. Well, a lot of it had to do with the reformers. Hey, listen, we want you, children, to read. Why? Because then you can get in the book. Why? Because then you can know his will. And it kept growing to about uh, 55% by 1850. I should have looked it up. I, I don't know what the literacy rate in America is even anymore. But the point is, is that you get the knowledge of his will through the book, through the Bible. If you're going to know God, you've got to have the Bible. Question, are you in the book? Are you in the book? And are you praying for those who are workers to get into the book? Because again, sometimes 
People in vocational ministry, you would think that they're the most spiritual. Sometimes they can be most carnal. They're busy. They're busy doing the Lord's work. They're so busy, they're not in the book. Does that sound odd? Let me attest to the fact that that can be true in my own personal life. You've got to be men and women of the book. So he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And it should change you. I always like telling the story of the South Sea Islanders who proudly displayed their Bibles to the GIs during World War II. And the one GI said, well, we've outgrown that sort of thing. Kind of self-sufficient, independent Americans as they are. I, I don't mean to, but, right? By the way, maybe you have outgrown that type of thing. When was the last time you were in the Word? Oh, let me see. Was it back in the summer? Anyways, this is what the uh, South Sea Islander says. Well, it's a good thing that we haven't outgrown the book. If we had, you'd been our meal by now. <laughs> Former cannibals. See, the Word of God should all, uh, radically transform you. Radically transform you. Well, he not only prays that the knowledge of his will, their will, but also in all wisdom and in all spiritual understanding. And there is a sequence here, by the way. Knowledge, wisdom, spiritual understanding. Wisdom has to do with being able to see in Scripture, not just the broad picture, that's knowledge, but specific principles. And understanding has specifically to do with how those principles play into daily life. Do you see? You know the scriptures, you know the principles, and this is how it plays out for me today. That's what he's praying for. And you could come up with a lot of different, um, you know, well, thousands of illustrations. But let's just take a couple. Let's say um, uh, Philippians 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, right? Who, though he was God, took upon himself what? The form of a servant. And if you go along, what does he do? Ultimately, that servant does what? He dies. Not only dies, but dies the death on the cross. Okay? And because of that, God has highly exalted him. So I've just kind of summarized. Okay? The servant, the, the greatest of all servants, Jesus Christ, came as a servant. He veiled his deity, though he continued to be, and served for 30 plus years, died, not just died, died the death on the cross, but because of all this, uh, it says that God has highly exalted him. Let, let's, take those, let's take those principles. First of all, what is the knowledge? That Christ was a humble servant who, ex, who was exalted by the Father. He was, a, he was a servant. What's the principle? God exalts the humble. God is the only one who can exalt another person permanently. That's the principle. If you want to be exalted, humble yourself. That's the, that's the general principle in Scripture. When you try to get your own glory, God humbles you, right? Is that true? But if you say, Lord, I am just your servant, and I just want to serve you, those are the ones that will be exalted. If not in this life, for sure in the life to come. What's the, what's the application to Philippians 2? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I will faithfully serve and leave my future in God's hands. That's the application. See, I want to be a servant. I'm going to faithfully serve and just leave everything else in God's hand because he's the one that exalts. I'm not. If you don't get that principle, you know what you're going to try to do the rest of your life? Exalt yourself in all different ways. 
Look at the house I have. Look at the job I have. Look at what I drive. Look at my kids. Nope. Lord, it's in your hands. Let me just be humble. Let me just serve. So you can do that in a, a all, you know, that, that's what you're looking for. That's what Paul prayed. I liked what one guy said. The hardest person to put under the correction of God's word is yourself. See, we can talk about authority. Or excuse me. We can talk about humility and not be humble. We can talk about grace and not be gracious. Do you know of anybody like that? It's amazing to me how sometimes what people are talking about is exactly what they're not doing. It's almost like the Lord is just, you know, and they're, they're picking up on what they ought to be doing. But instead of doing it themselves, what do they do? They just keep talking about it. Almost like convincing themselves that they're really accomplishing what God really wants in their life. You can talk about purity and not be pure. You can talk about trust and not trust. You can talk about hope and be very hopeless. The hardest person to put under the correction of God's word is yourself. So that's the first thing. Basically, know the word and do the word. That's the whole point. How about the, how about the second point? A worthy walk so that you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Boy, <laughs> Walk worthy of perfection? Although it seems impossible that anyone could walk worthy of the Lord, that is the teaching of Scripture. Why do I emphasize that? Because some of you grew up in homes where either mom or dad or grandpa or Graham could never be pleased. And you've transferred that into God and said, well, no matter what I do, I'm always failing. By the way, that's a chain around your neck because you're going to forever not really enjoy the process of growth then, right? You're just always being, you know, no matter, oh, I may step four steps, but God wanted me to step six and he's looking at me with displeased. No, no. Paul says, listen, that you would walk worthy of the Lord and that can be accomplished. I'm walking worthy of the Lord right now. Oh, does that mean you walked perfect this last week, John? No. Let me emphasize that. No. But you can walk worthy of the Lord right now, today, at this very moment. And, by the way, that can be consistent. Yeah, we sin. I understand sin. I want to dwell on it to the point that it becomes paralyzing. He's praying that they would walk worthy of the Lord. You know, there's that same usage of word in Ephesians. It says that you're worthy of the calling with which you were called. He actually gives some of the things. Lowliness, that's humility. Gentleness, that's power under control. Long-suffering, that means dealing with people in a loving way. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. See, I mean, if you're lowly and gentle and long-suffering, and Lord, it's just about you. I'm just glad that I'm in part of your family. You're walking worthy. And the things that are going to happen in your life, you're going to be pure. You're going to be good. You're going to have faith. You're going to be doing good works and all the other stuff. Like it can't be accomplished on your own, right? I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, what? I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. <laughs> isn't that great? <laughs> it's the impossible life without just trust, isn't it? But trusting God, you can walk with him and, and be pleasing to him. And then next he says a fruitful life. Being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful in every good work. Fruit is the byproduct of righteousness. Okay? He's get, what he's getting at is in every good work you can be fruitful. He's not saying that the, 
the fruitful is the good work, he's saying in every good work you can Because there is really no in secular in the Christian realm. Everything is sacred. Everything. What do you mean everything? So it's not just talking about the fruit of praise like in Hebrews or the fruit of converts or the fruit of giving. Those are all fruit. But he's saying in everything. He's praying for the Colossians that everything they do would be fruitful. That's how we should pray for our missionaries, our workers. So at work, pray that they're... I mean, just think of all the things that you can be fruitful in. At work, you can be fruitful there. How about your family? Your commute to work. Some of you have long commutes. Are you using them for the glory of God or just kind of zone out time? No, use them for the glory of God. How about your work with unbelievers? See, we usually think of the works as like church, serving, praying, dish to shares, you know, committee meetings, which they should all be for the glory of God. I've been in some committee meetings that perhaps I even participated in that didn't get so much glory for God. But everything you do, let me see what I wrote. You know, eating supper, do all for the glory of God. Watching the bills play, yeah, that should be for the glory of God. Let me give you this the next one. Watching WWF, World Wrestling Federation, is that what that is? I don't know, I've never watched it before. I think it's fake. Um, <laughs> Some of you are saying, can you really do that? I don't know. I don't know if you can watch that for the glory of God. So you have to make up your mind, can you do that for the glory of God? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. The point is this, should we do everything for the glory of God? Yes. We forget that. We can easily compartmentalize. By the way, can you hunt a deer for the glory of God? Yeah, Absolutely. Now, if all you're doing is trying to get the biggest buck to show off, that's not the glory of God. But if you're saying, you know what, look at the creation and thank you for what you have provided and all. So that's what Paul's praise, fruitful in every good work. And then finally, no, I didn't say, I shouldn't say finally, three more. A growing knowledge of God and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, the word knowledge is the same word we just saw in verse 9. One guy said this, verse 9 and 10 taken together form a miniature picture of the Christian life and growth. The argument is not circular, but spiral. And once you get this, it's not circular. It's not knowledge, obedience, knowledge, and obedience. It's spiral. Spiral being, you, I should have, it's a little circle and a bigger circle and a bigger circle and a bigger circle and a bigger circle. Keeps going up. He writes this. Paul prays that they may increase in the knowledge of God's will with the result that the Colossians will live as God wants them to live and so increase in the knowledge of God. You know and do, you've increased. You know and do and you know and do and you know and do. Understanding will fuel holiness. Holiness will deepen understanding. Get that last. Holiness will deepen understanding. Why do we have sometimes a Christian who's been a Christian for 25 years that still look like the Corinthian Christians of being babies? Because they know, but they do not do. And if you do not do God's word, you will not have deeper knowledge in God's word. You may pass the theology test, but your, your walk with the Lord is not deeper. You have to have knowledge along with obedience. That's how you spiral up. Greater faith, greater peace, greater joy. God gives you an assignment. It's called his word, the knowledge of his word. This is what I want you to do. By the way, it could be as simple as I want you to pray. 
Oh, I don't have time. You know what you will do? You will waste your life doing other things that are unimportant. You don't want to follow me? I'll check with you next year. But you're not spiraling up. Because knowledge has to be associated with doing. That's why I love the, the Lord's table. We are committing together. That we are walking together. Learning together. Sacrificing together for him. Right? So, he prays that they would increase in the knowledge of God. And then he prays uh, that they would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Can't do it on my own, it's him. Can't do it on my own. And then finally, oh, by the way, strengthen for what? That they would be patient and long-suffering. Some of your versions say steadfastness and patience or patient and long-suffering. The only thing I want you to remember for all patience and for all long-suffering, the words, there's two different words. The word for patience is hupomen. And the word for uh, long-suffering is uh, macrothumia. Uh, the first has to do with patience under circumstances. Difficult, hard trials that have to do with circumstances that you would stand up under by his power under those circumstances. The second word is macrothumia, macro, big, thumia, passion. It has to do with people. Because he knows that it's hard to work with people. In fact, I was looking through this thing and it said this about on Wednesday, your, working, your worker's team. He said the primary approach in ministry is team. A worker's team may include fellow workers, national co-workers, and the sending of organization, or, and the sending organization. Working with a team is never free from bumps. Boy, is that an understatement. <laughs> So what does Paul pray? He prays that they would endure by the power of God, what? Through all the circumstances of life. Some of you are going through some very hard circumstances. We need to know so we can pray that you don't give up. Lose hope, lose peace, lose joy in the midst of that circumstance. But then some of you are enduring trials, but it's not a circumstance, it's people. And sometimes when you go through a situation with people, you know what you want to do? Give up on people general. I'm tired of the ministry. I am tired of people's problems, Lord. Now he prays for their strength, almighty, according to his glorious power. And then finally, he ends with this. All patience and long-suffering with what? Joy. See, we're not talking about gritting our teeth, going to get through this trial. Yeah, Lord, send me another one like that. No, no, this is endurance with joy. By the way, that word joy has the same root as grace. That means something. Joyously, Lord, you're going to give me the strength. You're sovereign. You're, you're the Father. Everything is put through the, the, the Father's grid. See, knowledge leads to obedience, leads to perseverance, leads to love, leads to love for people. In fact, that's one of the, that is one of the characteristics of a growing Christian. Not your love for God. Because like John says, you tell me about your love for God, but I, I want to see how you love those who you see, not that one who, that you don't see. See, you can know your love for God by how you treat God's people. Right? So, 
joyously. These are some things that we need to be missionaries for. These are some things we need to pray for each other for. These are some things that we need to evaluate ourselves right now. So I want you to bow your heads as we prepare and ushers come forward. But a few questions. How's your pursuit of God going? You getting into his word? When you get into his word and you find a truth, are you seeking to obey that truth? Love for people. (laughs) You can bow your heads. How's your love for people? Still sacrificing for them? Still praying for them? Or have you just said, you know, it's Jesus and me? I find people that think they're spiritual by uh, isolating themselves from the body of Christ. And I always find that so interesting. How do you love people and not be with them? See, as we come to the table, what are we confessing? We're confessing that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. His sacrifice was sufficient. It was enough. We are secure in him. And now we are part of his body, part of his family, and we are together seeking to be partners and participants and fellowship with him and with one another. That's what we're committing to. That's what we're saying we're doing. So as we partake together, I trust that that is truly in your life. Let's pray. Father, again, I just thank you for your word and giving us a biblical prayer that Paul prayed for the classy uh, Christians. And we thank you that those same prayers are found in 1 Thessalonians and Philippians and Romans and all over the place. And Lord, help us to become more biblical in our praying. Uh, Father, I pray also that we would have a true heart of fellowship, heart uh, participation at Alfred Allman. That we would all participate in ministry from the oldest to the youngest. Forgive us as parents as sometimes we forget that. We're just concerned about us doing what's been asked and not really seeing our kids participate as well. And Lord, as we come before your table, I pray that you prepare our hearts so that we would take in a worthy manner. That if there's any sins that have been in front, we have done that we would confess. If there is a division between us and another brother or sister, that that would be taken care of immediately after the service, whether in person or by phone. And Father, I do pray also that if there's anyone here that's not a believer, may they understand their need for Jesus Christ. That this table does not bestow grace to the person. That this is just a remembrance, just a symbol of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And yet, that person needs to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, we just ask that your purposes would be accomplished during this time. In Christ's name, amen. It says in Corinthians, I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread.
Aren't you grateful for forgiveness? Aren't you grateful that you've been brought into the family? Aren't you grateful that even though you keep messing up, <laughs> sinning big time, that he's willing to keep you in fellowship and bring you back, and that he was still your father even those, through those dark valleys? That's what we remember, that we stand not because of our own righteousness, but we stand in Christ's righteousness. He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's stand as we worship. You love family reunions? Man, can you imagine the family reunion in heaven someday? But you know, next best thing, since we're on this side of death, is together, the church. The Ecclesia, getting together. So I encourage you to be participate. Participate together. And again, there's two different ways. One is giving. It's out there in the back. The other is prayer slips. They're the yellow ones. By the way, they're white, and then you just keep the yellow, put on the white and the, the white board. You might say, oh, I'm too late. You know, you're pressuring me in. Listen, I didn't sign up for my prayer, final prayer slip until just about a half hour ago. You're on time. This is on time. This day is on time. So I really encourage you to sign up. Why? Because it's, we're participating together, moving as one for God's glory. You know, the, one of the verses in Acts 6, well, let me just read a couple of verses. Paul, Silas, says they were beaten, threw them in prison, commanding that the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison. Now, the inner prison was deep, dark dungeon and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them because Paul was such a great man. No, Paul had people praying for him. That's why he was able to accomplish what he did. He had believers praying for him. That's, he was joyous. Even in the midst of people hating him and the circumstances were so bad and yet he had joy. I like what the word joy means. To be well, to thrive, survival with joy because they understand that God is in control. That's what you're praying and so we find that Paul and Silas are, are actually praising God in the midst of such great trial. I encourage you to sign up for our fellow workers. But let me say one last thing. Are you praying for one another? Because in saying this, I'm just assuming one thing. That you have a group of people that you're praying for right within this church. Do we need prayer? Are we going through trials and sometimes we're not joyful in the trial? Yeah. So please don't make this as a substitute for praying for your brothers and sisters at Alfred Allman. Well, who do I pray for? Maybe it's an elder. Maybe it's a group of elders. Maybe it's the leaders. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's your neighbor at home group. I don't have a neighbor. Well, get to a neighbor at home group. Your neighbor at home group, right? Maybe it's just I picked out four or five people that I really want to connect with. I'm going to start praying now that God will connect me. He's going to connect my heart's to that person before they connect as far as even in person. But pray for those within this body as well. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that you have made us 
participants in the body of Christ. And we ask that you would help us to fulfill with commitment uh, the desires that you have for each one of us. Uh, Help us to, in a very honest and uh, true way, uh, sign up for these different things and then then hold us accountable, Lord, that we would continue throughout this year to give and to pray, especially for those even within this body. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.